0: Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. My tradition, even though I've been prayed over, and um, we've just left from worship and praise and prayer and um, liturgy, but I always begin with prayer. Alveno Malkeno, our Father and our King. Lord, oh, that our hearts would just be satisfied in you. Oh, Lord, that you would just reveal yourself in the most innermost part of us. Establish your goodness upon our hearts. Let the truths of your word exhilarate and activate our minds. Be exalted in the midst of the congregation. Be exalted in all the nations and before all people. Let every knee bend and every mouth confess that Yeshua Messiah is Lord. For the glory of God the Father. Amen. Okay. We'll see if we're going to have slides, I was told. So I'm going to be um, working with that. So the title of this draws is The Seal of the Bridegroom and the Near to Mead. Next slide, please. I'm getting ready to go through reading. Um, well, that's funny. I'm going to be reading Songs of Solomon, chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. This is kind of a, just a backdrop to where we're going. And it begins with this. I've come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. And I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, oh friends, drink. Yes, drink your fill, lovers. I sleep, but my heart is awake. A voice, my lover, or I'm going to change that, my beloved, is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is drenched with dew, my locks with dewdrops of night. I have stripped off my coat. How can I put it on again? She responds, I have washed my feet. How can I soil them? My lover extended his hand through the opening and my heart yearned for him. I rose to open for my lover. My hands dripped with myrrh. Yes, my fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the lock. I opened to my lover, but my beloved had departed. He was gone. My soul went out to him when he spoke. I searched for him, but I did not find him. I called out to him, but he did not answer me. The guards making rounds in the city found me. They beat me, bruised me. The guards on the walls took my veil from me. O daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you. If you should find my lover, my beloved, what will you tell him? That I am sick from love. How is your lover different from other beloveds? Oh, most beautiful among women. How is your beloved different from other lovers that you charge us so? And that was Songs of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 1 to 9. We're going to consider a few points that I just read. The first point is that the bridegroom of the beloved is is seeking intimacy with his beloved. But we also notice that his beloved seems to think her beloved is calling upon her at an inopportune time. But her heart passions is stirred up for him. And she makes haste to pursue him. Though she is even beaten by guards and her veil removed. Yet she is not deterred. But in her zealousness passionately seeks her beloved. Her love is so radical. The maiden's. Of Jerusalem are astonished. So they ask her, and I'll ask you, how is your beloved different from other beloveds? How is your beloved different from other lovers? That you sow in the midst of the people, reveal this love for him. It's startling. That's a startling example of the bridegroom's love for her beloved. To be honest with you, I was taken aback when I really began to meditate upon just how much she loved. And so, ask yourself, is that the testimony that we see from the bridegroom? Of a greater beloved than Solomon. The seal of the bridegroom. Next slide. Before I read this, I want you to consider. My position is this. That the love that you see manifest in her is not her own personal love that she drums up within her own self. I believe that she has responding to a love that she has that she has so encountered, and it has literally ruined her for anyone else. The seal of the beloved. And that's John chapter six, verse 26 to 27. Yeshua answered them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures for eternal life, which the son of man will give to you. For on him, the father, Elohim or God has set his seal. My position is that God has only one man that he set his seal upon for this only one purpose. That he says this, he says that he lays down his life for the sheep. So a part of what we're going to be doing today is to ask ourselves, but why does this woman seem to have so much single vision eye upon him and why it seems that is not the case for us? So I have... I have uh, uh, many facets. I have some facets of the glories of this seal. My position is that this person, the Father sealed him for a redemptive work. To redeem those who were lost. To redeem the house of Israel and to gather a remnant from the nations. But there's these glories, these multifaceted glories. And it is a seal that when it imparts itself upon the heart of the one who receives it, they are changed. So I'm going to go to the next slide and I'm going to begin reading from one of my favorite elder brothers. The Shalachim, Yochanan, John the Apostle. John 1 and 1. And I'm just going to go down. This is just a list of these elements. That you're all very familiar with. But sometimes familiarity with things leads things to be way out here upon the surface. But we're not talking about that. Because if you have this one beloved, he'll gather all of your attention. And all of your affections will begin to be gripped. It's like the Shema. I'm going to stop. I was going to go somewhere with that, but I'm not. So in John 1 1, he is the word of God, and the word was God. In John 1 14, he's the word made flesh. In John 3 16, he is sent to be the Savior of the world. In John 4.34, his food is doing the will of God. In John 4.10, he is the living water. In John 4.39, the scriptures even testify of him. Not multi-arguments. They testify of Him. Those are the words of the Bridegroom. In John six thirty five, He's the Bread of Life. In John seven sixteen, He is God's. He has God's perfect doctrine. So much so, they said, "Where did this man learn, having not been taught?" Circle that one. In John eight twelve, He's the Light of the World. He's and in John ten eleven, He's the Good Shepherd. In John eleven twenty five, he's the resurrection and the life. In John 14 and 16, he's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by him. In John 8 and 29, God is always with him. And he always does everything to please the Father. In John 5 and 1, he is the true vine. And in John 16 and 7, he sends the comforter or the Ruach HaKodesh. He's unique. What I want you to consider is what happens when a seal is set upon something. When truths are set upon something, they begin to press and mold something upon it. So I'm going to quote an old Puritan... A young, a man I like to read. His name is John Flavel. He says, "Truth is the sanctifying instrument." That's John seventeen seventeen. The mode in which our souls are cast, Romans six seventeen. According, therefore, to the stamps and impression it makes upon our understanding, and the order in which truths lie there, will be the death and the lastingness of their impressions. And influences upon the heart. As the more weight is laid upon the seal, the more fair and lasting impressions is made upon the wax. It is from this backdrop that the pulsating and beating heart of the bride's cry comes. She has experienced a love that has like stamped itself upon her heart. And she's desirous to explore more of his intimacies, but just like her, at times we feel like we're a little tired and it's inopportune to rise up and be with our beloved. This love will ruin you to the world. You see, this bridegroom is above all other men. Hmm. And finally, he that sees these grounds and reasons of this or his peace and comfort most clearly is like they don't think they use likely as like to maintain it the more constantly. In the mind of this man, or the Puritan, or even in a, even in a, even in you would say in the rabbinic or in the Jewish circles, there is this kavanah, there's this is intention when it comes to reaching and going for God in prayer. But I say this unto you: there must be an intention in going after the one whom you say you love there's too much passivity. Whatever you really go after is really what you love. It really is. Hmm. Songs of Solomon's 8, 6 through 7 but we're going to read one verse right here. And it's this, set me like a seal over your heart. There's so many different interpretations of this text. Some say it's the king telling the bride, you set me as a seal. Upon your heart. Some say it is the bridegroom, or, or the bridegroom, um, the bride saying, No, no, you sent me. And see, the thing is, when you read the context, you start noticing that this woman who has encountered the love and she has encountered this God or this man who has been there from the beginning, this man who's unique, he has the power to, um, to reconcile her to God, she's crying out the most intimate part of him. See, the seals. Okay, let me make sure I read this right. The setting of the seals. Let's go ahead and read Hebrews 6, 13 and 20. I want you to see this before I read what I wrote. Now, when God made his promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and surely I will multiply you. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham reached the promise. For people swear by someone greater and the oath as confirmation is an end to all their disputing. And the oath, in the same way God determined to point out more clearly to the heirs of the promise, the unchanging nature of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for god to lie we have we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. Both firm and steady. A hope that enters into the inner place. Beyond the, the veil of the curse. He's talking about the holies of holies. Yeshua has entered there as a forerunner on our behalf. Having become Coin gadol forever. According to the order of a Melchizedek. You see the very person of God himself. In the flesh, the bridegroom, Messiah Yeshua, is the seal or signet upon the heart. His, his great kavod or weightiness is pressing and stamping his image and likeness upon it. Thus, his kadosh or holy sanctified life and complete perfections is like the urim and the thumim on the heart. In this way, it, it, it's, it's complete perfection in this life. It's like it's the life and the way of the heart of the believer. The believer's heart and their whole life and the whole way or the whole halakha of their heart is transformed by his press. He like the Kohen Godal. He alone escorts her into the plan or the place of divine union. When the high priest went in, On Yom Kippur. And the people were outside. He. Because they were all. Upon his breast. Brought them in. To a most holy secret chamber. That they could never get into. On their own. And so this is why. The seal. She's crying out to have him. Herself sealed upon his heart. Because she's crying out to be gathered. And taken into a place of intimacy. With God. That she can't do it. On her own. She's looking to him. Slide 15. I'm going to go to the next slide. Like a seal on your arm. The bride knows that the bridegroom's strength is made perfect in her or our weakness, He wears the signet ring of the Lord, God Almighty. For the one for the one who trusts in him is, it literally makes them strong. It creates the ability to. because the loyal, the Lord has the royal seal of approval upon him. you become God's workmanship created in Messiah Yeshua. It is making the believer the bride strong not because of her own strength because she is gripped by the strength or the arm of the one she believes in. This is why you see so much weakness in the body in the west because the arm of the flesh has replaced the arm of the strength. Of the Lord. Oh what. But what do you think happens. When you begin to believe. And trust in his arm. My God. Alright. Let's keep moving. I want to actually be able to finish this. For love. Is as strong as. As. Death. Hmm. We're going to go ahead and I'm going to begin reading some passages that might demonstrate what I'm saying. Because you have to ask yourself, how is love or this love as strong as death? In Romans 5 and 8, it says, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Messiah died for us. In 2 Corinthians 5, 2 and 5, 21, he made the one who knew no sin to become sin, uh, become a sin offering on our behalf, so that in, in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Colossians 1:22, but now he has reconciled you and Messiah's physical body through death in order to present you holy, spotless, and blameless in his eyes in Leviticus 17 11 for the life of the creatures in the blood and I, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your lives for it is the blood that makes atonement because of the life in 1 Peter 2 and 24 he bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we remove so, so that we removed from sin might live for righteousness by his wounds you were healed First Peter and Galatians two and 20. It is no longer I who live, but Messiah lives in me and the life. I now live in the body. I live by trusting in Ben Elohim, the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Hmm. What? How is love as strong as death? The first thing you can consider and you think is it, it sinks to redeem from the consequences of sin and death. It's the first example you get is when Adam and Eve fell in the garden and you see Adonai what he did. He called out for, for, for them and he went and he clothed them. He sought to redeem them and, and so he did. This love is a redeeming love. And, and next, and it opposes death to its face. Like Daniel, when he when he was given his sentence of death, then he chose to be faithful to God, and he opposed death by his by his belief in the faithfulness of his God. Just like the three Hebrews in the fire refurnace as well. And it it also again is love, it it, it loves not its own life until the death. It is willing to suffer death on behalf of that which is right. Hmm. It loves Adonai and Messiah Yeshua more than its own life, more than it fears death. It fears God. A love that is strong as death is sacrificial. Do you know to know that's where strong love comes from? We always wonder in the West why it seems like believers in countries that we can't pronounce are willing to be killed for the name of the Lord. They love much. They love much. I'm asking you. That this is not some kind of special. Super hyper spiritual believer. This is just the natural response of the bride groom. It is. And I tell you. You're going to get to experience it. man. I'd like to hear that but the times we live in. Now, the reason, just consider, I have to do this really quick because I want to get further. The reason why when Israel sinned, he brought the Torah because God was getting ready to put the death, the works that were contrary to him. And he created a wonderful system whereby when someone progressed the law, they could go, they... Well, not willfully, but they could go and lay their hands upon the head. They could have a way to approach God through sacrifice. They can have an innocent animal's blood be spilled so he would die in their place. Do you see the love of God? How much more when he sends his son to accomplish all things. All right. Songs of Solomon 5 and 8. Who is this coming up from the wilderness leaning on her beloved? I'm going to read a commentary from David Guzik and he's quoting Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon sometimes has some real excellent quotes and this is one of them. Charles Spurgeon used this as a picture of the closeness and dependence on the assembly upon Yeshua HaMashiach. Many things could be said as true regarding both the maiden and the people of God. She leaned because she was weak and needed strength. She leaned because the way was long. She leaned because the way was perilous. She leaned because the path was ascending and going higher and higher. She leaned because her progress took her more and more away from others and more and more to her beloved side. She leaned because she was sure her beloved was strong enough to bear her weight. She leaned because she loved him. This is a love that is humble. It's dependent. It doesn't expect that it can do anything on its own. And let's say it more like Yeshua says. Without me you can do nothing. Absolutely nothing. But with me all things are possible. It's completely different. It's wonderful. So she becomes dependent. Upon her beloved. Alright. Next one is this. Jealousy as cruel as Sheol or the grave. Hmm. I'm going to read two Proverbs. And I'm going to read Luke. And then we're going to expound on that a little bit. The first Proverb is 2720. It says Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied. And neither are the eyes of man. And this is Proverbs 30, 15b, and I think 16, I think it got cut off. Three things are never satisfied, four never enough. The grave, a barren womb, and land that is not satisfied with water, and fire that never says enough. And Luke 14, 26 Through 27 and 33. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So in the same way, whoever does not renounce all that he has cannot be my Talmudim, my disciple. Interestingly enough. One of the things you're going to notice. Is how greedy the grave is. When it says it never says enough. It's saying that all that you have. It's going to consume. You're not taking any. Everything that is with you is coming. It's the complete and total. Total. The jealousy of God is exactly like that. Exactly. How many of you desire to have your heart, the person who loves his heart seared, and he's jealous for your affections and your attentions? This jealousy also means he'll do almost anything to preserve your relationship. If you understand this rightly, it will give you great confidence How much God loves you. How much he's pursuing after you. How much he's watching over you. He is zealous. Same word. Exact same word. Jealous and zealous. It's the same word in Hebrew. At least in this one. I'm going to read a verse for you. So now truth, this is from Isaiah 59, 15 and 17. I don't have a slide for that. That was just a bonus I got upstairs just now. So now truth is missing and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. That's Isaiah 59, 15 through 17. Now when Adonai saw it, it was displeasing in his eyes that there was no justice. He saw that no one, he saw that no one, he was astonished That no one was interceding. Therefore his own arm brought salvation for him. And his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate. And a helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with robes of vengeance. He wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. You, you'll notice that if you read Ephesians, this is where Paul actually gets this from. Most of the time you see this as a defensive tactic. Most of the time you look at that and see that, oh, this is something that is being done to protect me from the wiles of the devil. But in this passage, God is looking at all the wickedness and sin in Israel and he's looking at the leaders and the teachers and they're letting the people die in their sins. And he put, and he says, cause there was no one else. If he sees you going away from him and you're his bride, he says, There's no one else. I'm going to go after you. I'm going to be zealous. The same way the zealousness should cause fear is the same way that it should cause deep and humble love. Like this, he's going to keep me, he's going to watch over me. He's going to pull out his sword and defend me. He'll trample down the gates of the adversary. That's our God. That's the bridegroom's confidence. Hmm. Now, this is how it manifests. This is how the jealousy of God's love manifests in his beloved. They become zealous for God's glory and for his honor and praise. His name and kingdom. Yes, even for his people and his purposes and his will. They take upon his zealousness and his causes. It is severe or firm fat. It's stubborn for God. Like King when he pulled out the spear, even as Messiah resolutely set his jaw like lent to do the will of the Father. It literally means to be hard. To be fierce. Having a single eye. The bride is stubborn for God. As both death and the grave are seemingly inevitable. Guaranteed or unstoppable part of this fallen world. This burning bush. The eternal flame of God's love. Is greater. And it never fails. That's 1 Corinthians 13 and 8. I tell you, it never fails. So why should you be afraid of what's happening in this nation? It never fails. Its flames are bolts of fire. Hmm. Its flames or flashes are like a thunderbolt, which generate immense amounts of energy and demonstrations of power, fiery and intense like lava or burning coals on the altar of God. Adonai's love and his works of sacrifice always produce a sweet smelling savor unto God. Are we white hot with Messiah's love, with his power? Powerful explosions. I believe the consuming fire of Adonai's love burns hotter and infinitely brighter than the flames of hell. This is why, in countries where they're burning for God, it's all hands on deck in those nations to stop it. It's intense. works its way in you are you willing to give yourself over to the zealousness of god's love for you the flame of adonai as the burning bush is on a fire yes fire yet not consumed you notice like Moses. He, he saw something and he drew closer. And and, and I, you draw closer and behold Messiah. The Shamash, The Shammash candle. The flaming torch. The living sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God. He is the very zeal of Abba's house. Has consumed him. Why not us? He is the very flame of Yah. The light of the house of God. A flashing. Glittering. Flickering flame. A near to mead. Next slide. Next slide. Next slide. There you go. Hi, slides. Okay. All right. As you can see, if you're in here, this is a near to mead. And behind it, some of the representations are the, the very presence. This the, is an eternal flame. It's represented by the menorah and also sometimes by the burning bush. And what I'm saying, that it's intense. What if I told you almost all the moves that the world is making is going. The sole purpose of it is to put out the near to meet of God on the earth. The first temple was brought down. And so is the second. But our father made it, had a temple not built with the hands of men. And even the grave itself and death itself couldn't contain it. And now we have a bride who is supposed to be so filled with this light of God's love that the whole world is gathering and positioning self and making moves and changing laws and causing all kinds of things. And they're trying with all of their might to make it legal to try to blot out an eternal flame but I tell you you can't blot it out because it's eternal you need to consider this because what are you going to reach to and grab to they might take away your ability to use your education They might take away your ability to use the the medical facilities. They might make it to where you couldn't buy or sell. But where strength are you going to be able to keep going? They might say, even if you don't deny him, we'll have to kill you. They might say, you must affirm these behaviors. Hmm. I want you to consider there's a flame that burns... In the very presence of God, that cannot be extinguished by created beings, and that's what this is. That's what the flame of God is. And in Romans eight thirty five through thirty nine, we see this. Okay. Who shall separate us from the love of Messiah? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or a danger of sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. But in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Messiah Yeshua. And this is what enlightens the the body. They will know you by this. You need to, it's, it's not that they're trying to take away your civil liberties so they want to make you a communist. They're trying to blot out the one who the world belongs to. They're going after the house of God on the backside and all the other sides. I want you to consider what I'm saying. Consider this. You don't have to be afraid. How can they blot out which they had not given to you? That's eternal. Why should you be afraid the laws they're enacting when what they can do is kill the body but they cannot condemn the soul? These are two distinct options. You can become a man who's a person who's fearful of men, or you can become someone who walks by the faith of God. It's burning and I expect that our father is going to have to use some of these very things I'm talking to you about as kindling upon some of these hearts to awaken them because some of them are embers and they're going out what will it take for you to be stirred how will they shut the synagogue down what is it going to take for you to awaken? Maybe when they make you get a vaccine or take you to a camp. What is it going to take? Put your affections upon him who loves you. And as less assuredly, you will become hot. you begin to burn. Put your hands to his plow and watch what happens. Because one thing about the Puritans, they were focusing mostly on meditating upon what Yeshua did. But in the Jewish mindset, you begin to do the things that he did. You begin to burn with his actual works in your hands. Your hands get sweat equity. They get dirty. You get blisters. Not as a means to earn it's because you're his bride. She works with her hands. My beloved, let's finish this up. Adonai's love is a near to meet and it can never be overcome. And so now, I'm going to read 36. If one gave all the wealth of his house for love, it would utterly. It would be utterly despised. That language should be very familiar to you if you're a believer. If you're getting the point of what Yeshua was doing. Because a lot of times they call these the hard sayings of Jesus. They're not the hard sayings. He's separating you from that which ails you. Anything that's in competition to himself. Now when you're dealing with a man like that on the world. It's not a good idea. You might want to get away from that guy. But when you're dealing with the one who's who's reconciled you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his of the Son of God, this is completely different. And so I'll go through these last passages, and then I'll make a call and see who really wants him. There's a lot of competition here. Spend more time in front of our devices than with our Lord. Do you think? I'll give you a spiritual insight. The enemy, specifically a lot of these people who are doing certain things. They create one thing and they show you its purpose. They tell you its purpose. But behind the purpose they show you, the purpose is actually something completely different. I'm going to give you all these things that will make your life easier. But in but in my purposes, I have all these other things I plan on doing using this thing. I tell you, take inventory and see if you're in the bed while he's reaching through with his fingers. Take inventory. Consider it. I found that I'm one who is... Later, Lord, I'm guilty. So now we go to Shaul. Philippians 2, 5-6. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Messiah Yeshua. Though existing in the form of God, did not... Consider being equal to God a thing to be grasped. It's actually Philippians um, t- 2, 5 to 8. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, becoming the likeness of man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. And I'm going to go again, Galatians 6, 14 through 18. But... May I never boast except in the cross of Messiah Yeshua, or the stake, if you prefer. Through Him, the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but only a new creation. In Galatians, oh wow, fourteen to eighteen. I'm still going. Now as many as live by this rule, Shalom and mercy on them and on the Israel of God. For now on, let no one make trouble for me, for I bear on my body the marks of Yeshua. The grace of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. And I have three more that I must read, and then we will wrap it all up. Philippians 3, 7-14. Whatever things were gained to me, these things I considered as loss for the sake of Messiah. More than that, I consider all this to be loss in comparison to the surpassing value of the knowledge of Messiah, my Lord, Yeshua, my Lord. Because of Him, I suffered the loss of all things. You're going to see that here one day. In this nation he will and I consider them garbage or refuse or dung in order that I might gain Messiah and be found in him not having my righteousness derived from Torah but on but one that is through trusting in Messiah the righteousness from God based on trust. Or faithfulness. My aim is to know him. The power of his resurrection. And the sharing of his suffering. Becoming like him in his death. that somehow I might arrive at the resurrection from the dead. I literally only have one more thing left. It's important for you to understand. That these were human beings. Shaul or Paul is a man just like us. It says Eliyahu was a man with like passions, just like us. I bid you, if you're the bride, seek your Lord. And I'm going to say this, and I hope you take this to heart. The body of Messiah in the West has rejected the cross. We don't want it. I'm upset that they're taking my rights. May be the only way that He can awaken you unto Himself. He's so jealous; He'll put you anything to conform you to the image of His Son. Don't you understand? We think a revival is going to come with smiles and laughter. God forbid. There's going to be weeping between the altar and the porch. And brokenness. Over this nation who has no fear of God. And the body doesn't. And I'm looking at me wondering if I do. But this bride. She's scripts. I say unto you, consider what I'm saying. I'm guilty. That's why I was struggling so hard with this message. To the late of the night. And i read reading it and I was terrified. I got scared when I saw them doing these, these laws in COVID. It scared me. And God says, you're more afraid of what they're doing than me. He says, where's that love, that burning love that you used to have? I'm crying out, if you're his bride, answer, and go after him. And there's nothing they can do to you. There's nothing, a hair can be harmed on your head unless he lets them. And if they do, they might be preparing you for your burial, for the resurrection of the just. I'm telling you, God have mercy on us. Charles Spurgeon said this. Beloved, just no part of the pilgrimage of a saint or a kadeshim in which he can afford to walk in any other way but in the way of leaning. He come above at first, the first. He come above at the last. He's still leaning, still leaning upon Yeshua. Hey, leaning more, more heavily upon Yeshua. The older he grows. I'm going to say this. Stay sitting if you if you don't if you're not the bridegroom cry out for mercy cry out for mercy your sin is going to find you out i'm not going to lie to you i'm telling you you're going to go before god and you better go before him with someone's blood speaking over you better than bulls and goats but if you are his stand up stand up and receive his love his strength his assurance there's nothing that the enemy can do to you. There's no amount of, of, of trauma or stress he can try to place upon you. I'm trying. To, he, he can't. He can't. It's all smoke and mirrors. Amen. Am I supposed to call the worship team right now? I'm not trying to break the roof. You come up. Father God. I know that I'm guilty. I know that I have been sleeping in a bed. That I wasn't willing to get up. I want to know that love that is as strong as death. I want your jealousy to consume me. Oh, let your mercies flow up like rivers and touch Great king, equip our minds. Lord, make steadfast our feet and our hands. You've made a body, a precious body. I pray, Lord, that you withdraw us. Amen.